Hello and welcome to Beyond Markets by Julius Baer, a series featuring conversations with experts to share recent market developments, key insights and strategic inputs from around the globe. In each episode, we cut through the noise to bring practical advice and macro research on today's shifting economic and market landscape. Please listen to the important legal information at the end of this podcast. Hello, I'm Mark Matthews, Head of Research Asia at Julius Baer. Today is Wednesday, July 28th, and I'm joined by Richard Tang, our Head of Research Hong Kong and China Strategist. Hello, Richard. Hello, Mark. Today, Richard and I will discuss what's arguably the biggest disturbance to hit the Chinese stock market since it began in 1990, the regulatory crackdown on new economy companies. Actually, it's been happening for a while. It started when a large digital finance company was supposed to list on the stock market in November last year, and it was canceled at the last minute. In March, there were more. In June, there were more. And this month, we had the private education companies. We had the food platform companies. It's happening at a fast and furious rate. And there's various reasons being cited as to why. For example, the digital economy has gone from less than 20% of GDP 10 years ago to 40% today. And that happened so fast that it isn't being as well regulated as it should be. Monopolistic behavior is another one. Things like when the internet giants require small businesses to exclusively use them and no other platforms. But there's more with the education companies that parents shouldn't feel compelled to pay so much in their extracurricular tuition for their children to be able to keep up with others. And with the food delivery companies, it's pay your drivers more. But the general trend, if we can sum it up, is unfair, unregulated practices. So Richard, my first question to you is, The fact that all of this is happening at once makes it hard to believe it's a coincidence. There really does seem to be a move from the top. Can you generalize? What is the move? What's the intention here? Yeah, sure, Mark. The regulatory pressure in the China internet sector first started late last year. Frankly, it's nothing new in history. But this round of regulations was initially focused on fintech and antitrust, and we were less concerned at that time. The new rules do have the impact on growth or pricing or margins, but we don't think they hurt demand meaningfully. Also, the regulations are clearly defined and in detail, so the internet platforms know what to do to satisfy the requirements. However, getting into July, we got a little bit more concerned as the regulatory focus has shifted to data security. And this falls under the national security framework in China. So the focus will be at a different level compared to those economic issues. And we believe that the regulatory scrutiny in this area could be a little bit more intense. So far, we have seen an announcement from the Cyberspace Administration of China, which requires all platform operators with more than 1 million users of data to apply for data security review before they are approved for overseas listings. Now, this rule only applies to companies that are not yet listed, but we will not be surprised if there may be some other regulations that target at existing overseas listings. Richard, that's big stuff. And because of that, the consensus thinking is investors are going to be very wary of Chinese stocks for a long time. And it's not the best analogy, but think about Trump's sanctions. Remember Trump when he was president, all those sanctions, all those tariffs, and they created a lot of uncertainty because you never knew what was going to happen next. Right. Eventually it did end, and most things do end, Richard. And so here's another question. When do you think this is going to end? And I guess as a follow-up, is it soon? Because if it is, should we be looking at buying? Chinese stocks as a whole listed in the United States 
have lost half their value from February. Well, Mark, I have to be honest with you. It is very hard to predict policy outcomes. But in the grand scheme of things, it does look like that the state is trying to reallocate capital and resources from the sectors that have already become competitive to those that need more support and where the government wants to raise the competitiveness to be at par with global peers. So high-end manufacturing is the first of those sectors that come to my mind. It's clear that China excels in a lot of areas, but I think it's fair to argue that sectors like semiconductors or industrial internet of things are examples where China still needs to catch up. So obviously, there are some very preliminary thoughts, but I think they may help us to think about the allocation within China once the dust settles. Thanks, Richard. When we're talking about these kind of things, when it's this uncertain, you know, when it's policy, it's tough to say, well, the fundamentals have come down enough that it's time to buy. So what a lot of people do is they default to technical analysis. And I have to say that our technical analysts, Menzer Bocinci, Alexis Chassignard, who have an excellent track record, they are saying the trend is now bearish for the Chinese stock market. But Richard, I have to say in my own experience, and, and I think you've been around for a long time too in this business, been through a few of these things, very swift corrections, and it looked like there was no light at the end of the tunnel, that generally actually fundamentals do give you some kind of guide, some kind of anchor. When things get so cheap relative to their history, relative to their peers, then it is a good time to buy, even if the news is so bad, because news usually doesn't stay bad forever. And I can't help but saying that Chinese stocks uh, listed in well, Hong Kong and New York, outside of the US, they're now trading at 12 times earnings. And they were trading at uh, over 16 times back in March. Uh, the long term is uh, 15 times, going back to 1995. So historically, actually, Richard, below 12 times has been good support. Right. Now, you could say, well, those earnings are too high. Then let's look at the price to book, which is the balance sheet, the assets less the liabilities of these companies. And, and actually, they're now trading on 1.2 times price to book. The average going back to, one, to, to 1995 is 1.8. I mean, if there's outright nationalization, your shares are going to go to zero. But Richard, you don't think that's what's going to happen, right? No. I think it's always tough to see where in the market falls. But I do want to emphasize that we've seen these before. Now, in the past, the Chinese market had always managed to come back and restart a new uptrend after any sharp corrections. So the question is not about whether I should invest in China, because the answer is an absolute yes. But when we should scale up our exposure again. And the current correction reminds me of two previous episodes, one in 2018 and one in 2015. The cost of sell-off right now is closer to 2018, I would say, because both are related to market fear on regulatory tightening. Now, the pace of current decline is closer to 2015, though, when market has some panic selling after the A shares have peaked and then the RMB reform. The 2015 decline is followed by a V-shaped recovery when market got to a very, very depressed level. The 2018 example is slightly less encouraging because the market took a year trading sideways before starting a new uptrend. But in any case, a bull market did come again when investors calmed down and started to think about Chinese investments rationally. After all, this is the second largest economy still growing at a 4 to 5% annual rate. Richard, you know, I think that's worth highlighting. It's not like every company in China is being cracked down on. And there are large parts of the market the government does want to support. You wrote a report a month ago, Wealthy China, Healthy China, Pretty China. Remember that? Yeah. 
I think it's a point worth making. There is more to China than these consumer technology stocks. And I wondered if you could tell us a little about the rest, specifically the parts we like. Yes, uh, answer here. Consumption, healthcare, and green energy. I think for consumption, our historical way of investing in these consumer stocks would be to look for luxury demand. But the future of consumption is more about rural growth and also the emerging preference towards local brands. And then for healthcare, the drivers are very, very simple. Demographics and the increasing awareness of health. I know that some investors are a little bit concerned about the regulations, but what we've observed is that those regulations generally has helped consolidation. So innovative leaders and national champions are the way you go. And then finally, on green energy, I would say this is probably one of the very few areas where US and China agree with each other. And the simple way to invest in those uh, would be the electric vehicles, as well as renewables like solar, as well as wind energy. Mark. So I'd like to ask you another question. As you know, I spend most of my time looking at China. I live and breathe it, in fact. But you are a bit farther away from it than I am. So how do you think it looks to most people and for those who are also farther away? Well, Richard, I I think that investors around the world generally follow the same kind of criteria. And the number one criteria when it comes to equities is cash flow. Because ultimately, what moves share prices is cash flow. The more the cash flow, the more the share price goes up anywhere in the world. So to that degree, if you've got regulations that are permanently suppressing the long-term cash flow producing ability of these very large companies, well, then there's no denying, you know, investors are right to be reacting the way they are, which is that they don't like it. I mean, imagine if a company had a very big breakthrough in some kind of genomic medicine like we had with the messenger RNA vaccines and the companies that are listed that do those messenger RNA vaccines, I mean, their share prices are fantastic. Would they be allowed to do that in China? Would they be allowed to monetize it? Maybe, maybe not. So the secular case to owning China, and that is that it offered a parallel universe of new economy companies that were doing very interesting things outside of the rest of the world. That case is gone now. And Richard, I want to say something else. It's not so much about markets. It's more about society because there's a lot of things behind these regulatory changes. Some of them are arguably because of the geopolitics, data security, for example. But I think most of them, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think they're societal. You know, I think it's about society, like rich kids having such a big advantage over poor kids because of these private schools. So middle-class parents feel obliged to spend like they're rich just to give their kids a chance, but they can't afford to. So they just have one kid. Is that really what you want in a meritocratic society? Don't you want the smartest kids, the hardest working kids to have the opportunities? Because not all of them are rich. And then there's this once hip, now famous, the 996, yeah, working system. You know what it is. I think you do it anyway for us, Richard, at Julius Baer. But (laughs) (laughs) 9 a.m. to 9 p.m., six days a week. No wonder the young people aren't having more children. They don't have time to. Or treating your drivers right. I mean, I remember a few months ago, a undercover government official posed as a delivery rider, and he said he earned just 41 renminbi driving around Beijing for 12 hours. So 41 renminbi, that's six and a half dollars, Richard. You know, so I imagine all these things would actually be quite popular with most people in China who feel the pressure of trying to get by day by day. And who knows, in that sense, China could actually be a vanguard because the last 20 years were friends of capital. but. The wealth gap has become so large, not just in China, around the world. Now that pendulum seems to be slowly swinging back toward labor. 
and therefore, I think we'd want to own those kind of consumption companies you were talking about earlier, Richard. Correct. And as for the intrusion of the state, well, think about it this way. We know there's alternatives to WhatsApp. We've got Telegram, Signal, Wire, that kind of thing. How many of us actually use them? I have a few friends who do. I've basically fallen out of touch because I don't have time to keep checking so many apps. And I don't really care if the CIA or the Ministry of State Security is looking at the silly little memes I send my friends. That could be the wrong way of looking at privacy. Nobody should be looking at our correspondence. But I think most people do think that way, unless they're doing something illegal. They don't really care too much. And I imagine in China, it's the same. And so, yes, the story's changed, but Ultimately, China is still full of entrepreneurs. They're willing to accept the government's limits, adapt to the new way. Yeah, I agree. And thanks, Mark. Well, let me conclude. To quote the famous economist John Keynes, "When the facts change, I change my mind." So the facts have changed in China, but unfortunately, not for the better. There are still many good things to invest in China, and people should have exposure to them. For example, as I said, consumer. Healthcare and green energy, and there are lots and lots of companies in these spaces. But it has to be acknowledged that with the digital side of the economy having grown to occupy such a large part of it, the companies that operate in that space are also giants in the share indices. And increased regulation of them will, by definition, mean decreased cash flow. So we will have to reassess the great returns that we have been expecting over the next decade. For the Chinese indices relative to the world, well, that's pretty much what we want to talk about. And on behalf of Mark and all our colleagues at Julius Bear, thank you for listening and goodbye. You have been listening to Beyond Markets by Julius Bear. If you like what you heard, subscribe to our show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. To learn more about Julius Bear, our people, our latest thinking. Visit us at www.juliusbear.com. We will be back with a brand new episode soon. This is a podcast disclaimer. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast constitute marketing material and are not the result of independent financial or investment research. The podcast content is intended for information purposes only and does not constitute an offer, a recommendation, or an invitation by or on behalf of Julius Baer to buy or sell any securities, security-based derivatives, or other products, or to participate in any particular trading strategy in any jurisdiction. Julius Baer does not accept liability for any loss arising from the use of the podcast content. Please refer to www.juliusbear.com forward slash legal forward slash podcasts for further important legal information.